If you've been writing for longer than a day, you know it takes so much energy to finish a story, much less a book. You probably even know the odds of completing a book. Some people say it's fewer than one in a thousand writers who finish a full draft. It takes so much energy. It takes a lot of energy to get out in front of people and to share yourself, your hopes, your aspirations. You might have started writing, I don't know, a week ago. Maybe you've been working on something for 20 years. Probably you're somewhere in between. So how do you keep going when things get tough? If you're coming here hoping to find some inspiration, well, we might just be able to find some together. And let's face it, Ernest Hemingway's liquid courage isn't the answer we're looking for. So throw out all your romantic ideas about the novelist who drowns his sorrows in alcohol and holes himself up in a cabin in Idaho and is remembered forever. We're sad. We're sad for what he did. We're sad that he didn't have all of the tools and resources that we do today. Or maybe he did. I don't know. But you won't be able to say that you don't have the tools and the resources after listening to this episode. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, I'm going to share with you the secrets I've learned from industry experts and how you can speed your path to publication. So today we're going to talk about five things that will radically change the way that you pursue writing, publication, and ultimately fame and fortune. We're going to talk about support, building a support system so that you never feel alone for long. We're going to talk about community so you can feel like you belong. We're going to talk about promotion. It's important to help you sell your book but it's also important as a source of great energy. We're going to talk about inspiration. How do you find inspiration to keep you going? How do you find inspiration that gives you energy? We're going to talk about service. How serving others can be a surprising well of energy to keep you going when nothing else seems worth it. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. I remember the first time I submitted a short story for publication. I remember the silence. I remember the hundredth rejection I got from a literary magazine. I remember enrolling in writing classes at Metropolitan Community College, of receiving a perfect grade on my first personal essay in Frank Shemerdla's Composition 101. That class likely changed my life. Because even though I look back on that essay and I think it had to have been terribly written, something in it stood out. And he told me that writing had a place in my future. He affirmed that I was a good writer. And that 
resonated with me because I wanted to be a good writer. I wanted to write the best essay. But you know what? I remember thinking, I remember thinking that that essay was so good that when I was scheduled to go in for my midterm review of how things were going in Frank's class, I believed Marilyn Robinson was going to be sitting next to Frank at the head table, ready to anoint me the next big thing. I kid you not. I am not lying. Why would I lie about something so absurd? And if you don't know who Marilyn Robinson is, she won the Pulitzer Prize for her novel Gilead. She sat with Barack Obama as his writer in residence. I don't know what the official term was, but she was like really important to our president as a thinker and a writer. I thought she was going to come to measly Metropolitan Community College to look me in the face and say, your essay was so good, we just wanted you to know that. I don't know what she was going to do. I'm really deluded, but that's what I believed. (laughs) I remember going to that uh, midterm review and being disappointed when Frank told me that my writing was some of the best that he'd seen in his time teaching there because Marilyn wasn't sitting at that table. I remember when I started my literary journal, The Mustard Seed Risk, thinking that the credibility I would garner from running that magazine would be a direct avenue to publishing in The New Yorker. And I remember shutting it down after three months because editing was definitely not my gig. Thanks, John, for uh, helping me get it off the ground. Thanks for a lot of things. I remember beginning the process of applying for an MFA, a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing with a fiction focus. And I applied to the top programs in the country. Number one, Iowa State Writers Workshop, where Marilyn Robinson was a a professor, but also the University of Michigan's MFA. And I remember that my wife came home from a walk one day and believed that she had heard from God that I was supposed to apply to that program. And knowing that that meant I was going to be accepted into that program. I remember when we moved out to Oakland, about an hour north of Omaha, a small town of less than a thousand people. While I was still in undergraduate studies, waiting to hear back about my acceptance to the master's program and how I would drive back from town after class, anticipating the Michigan flag hanging from the bay window in the front of our house, the bright yellow M against the navy blue backdrop. And that was going to be the sign from my wife that we had gotten a letter accepting me into the program. And I remember the day the envelope came, how light it felt in my hands, how I knew just from the flimsiness of that stupid piece of mail what it said. I remember the first acceptance I got from Mills College in Oakland, California, and closely following that, the acceptance from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. And I remember thinking that wasn't good enough because I was destined for a better school. Don't ask me why I thought Eastern Washington University was that school, but I was positive that EWU was where I was going to go because Iowa had rejected me and Michigan had rejected me. And so my backup school was actually destiny waiting for me. Now I remember calling the program director and asking her if she'd received my application because 
Everyone else had responded, except for EWU. And I remember finding out that had I not made that call, I would have been rejected from the program. But by my desire to go there, I got the last spot for the fiction program. And I knew, I knew right then, that it was a direct arrow's path from EWU to the Pulitzer Prize. I remember during my first year driving from Spokane to Seattle, because listen, it's destiny, and it was like a a two and a half hour drive from from EWU to Seattle, where AWP was that year. If you don't know what AWP is, it's the biggest writer's conference in the country. Once a year, it moves all around, and everybody who's anybody goes there to rub elbows with anybody who's anybody. And I knew that my road to ultimate success and world conquest was to publish in the Cincinnati Review. Heck, I would have taken Passages North. Passages North, I love your artwork. You've been doing it real good for a long time. But when I walked up to the tables where the editors and the student editors and the people representing those journals stood, I realized that I was just another annoyance in a sea of annoyances. Because with 5,000 people wandering the convention center in Seattle. How many people do you think were publishing in those magazines? One? Maybe one. Probably not one. So you can guess that I vowed never to go back to AWP until I was the Chuck Palahniuk sitting on the keynote stage. I'm bitter that way. I remember beginning to believe the system was rigged against me. And so I decided to play games. I remember submitting to a, a literary magazine anonymously, and saying that David Mitchell, i.e. the author of Bone Clocks, Cloud Atlas, had told me to submit there. And I remember getting accepted for publication at that magazine and the editor asking me excitedly, who in the world was I? And I remember telling her, I didn't actually know David Mitchell. Ha ha, the joke was on her. And I remember feeling like an asshole for a pretty long time after that. I remember second year of the program at EWU, when a visiting writer came to critique our manuscripts of ignoring everything that was going on in his life. He had a a dear loved family member who was, well, passing away while he was visiting and, and he had to leave early to be by her bedside in her final moments. And I remember just thinking, I have to make sure he knows who I am because that was my chance. And I remember taking advantage of him because I knew for sure that his notoriety as a visiting editor and someone of more clout than anybody at DWU, he could get me in the door. I remember his kindness to me, despite my fame-grubbing heart, that he struck up a friendship with me and that years later when I asked him if he knew any agents in New York City that might be interested in looking at my work, he referred me to someone. And I remember thinking that that finally was the moment where I was going to publish my great American novel. I also remember when that agent wrote back an email saying that she couldn't quite connect with the character, and so she didn't think she could represent me. What she didn't know was that the character in the book was literally a thinly veiled version of me. And I remember what it felt like for her to reject me. I remember years later when I realized it wasn't an acceptable answer to be rejected for my novels. And so I decided I would submit my novel to every agent who would read in my genre until I found someone to represent me or there was no one left. And I remember 
the third agent I queried with that new manuscript offered to represent me. I remember thinking that within a year I would have a book deal and $500,000 sweeping into my bank account because there had been a bidding war for this amazing, amazing book. I remember erasing the blackboard at my job selling insurance in my cubicle where I had written 500k Jody because after a year it was clear that no editors were going to be in a bidding war for my book and I remember after two years with no offer deciding that if someone would give me a dollar to publish my book hell if they would let me pay twenty dollars I'd do it I'd be grateful I remember when I knew that what I was doing wasn't working. And I know there's there's got to be a tenured professor out there right now, someone who's saying, Well, son, just perhapsably you've got unreal expectations because you can't choose what the market wants to read and you can't make your novel a bestseller. Take it from me, my boy. Literature, she's a fickle mistress. Take what you can and be glad for every minute. For goodness sakes, young pup, can't you accept the progress you made? Do you know how many people would murder a litter of kittens for the chance to have a literary agent? Stop whining and write the next book, you miserable slob. But seriously, (laughs) I love tenured college professors. And I feel bad for the thousands of adjuncts who don't get paid minimum wage to give blood, sweat, and tears for their students. I want to thank you, all of the adjuncts out there. Regardless of what subject you're teaching, you deserve more than you get. I wish that you could strike the same way that baseball players strike, and I wish that there was a fund of money somewhere to support you to beg and plead and demand better working conditions. Somebody else is going to carry that ball for me. But I'm on your side. Okay. So I'm betting, as I told that story, you remembered every bump, every failure, every rejection, and every victory along your writing journey. And I'm betting that you have an answer if I ask you, why do you keep doing it then? Why keep writing? What's in it for you? What's in it for anyone? Well, here's a bet. You have a writing story of rejection, acceptance, perseverance, fatigue, success, and failure. Perhaps... Your specific writing story isn't two decades in the making. Maybe it's not two years or even two months. Maybe your story is one day long. You might have just written your first story this morning and felt that the racing adrenaline of inspiration, known that you were about to claim the fame to something that you were uniquely amazing at, and then gone back a few hours later, read the story to just capture that energy again, And wondered what the heck you were thinking when you wrote it. And if that person even has any talent. Look, most of us know writers who have published stories or poems or books. Several years, manuscripts. And they go back and they look at their early work with a little bit of humorous embarrassment. Because who they were in the beginning and what they liked in the beginning and their taste in the beginning, their talent. It was all just kind of fledgling there's a lesson there. The lesson is, is that if you're that person who looks at your work and, and feels disillusioned because you thought it was great and you recognize that maybe it could be improved, that's a sign that you're getting better. Even if it literally is two hours from when you wrote to when you went back, 
that means that the gap between your talent and taste closed a little bit. So you should be encouraged. But secondly, never forget where you started. Again, even if you're just brand new, you know this feeling better than some of us who have been writing for years. But don't forget, when you started, you didn't know where to put a comma. Don't judge new writers. Don't you dare decide to show someone how smart you are by critiquing their work. You're not doing them any favors unless they ask you, unless they pay you. Let's put it that way. Unless they pay you to run them over the washboard, you find what is good about the work. You find what is praiseworthy about the work and you let them know how great they did at that. Even if you have to get down to the most granular, minute piece, great word choice in paragraph three. Love how you found that one word that perfectly described a butterfly. Whatever it is, you find it or you have no business talking to someone about their work. And finally, and finally, you've got a long way to go because of the work you're producing right now. In a couple of years, you're going to think the same about it that you thought about your work from a few years ago. You're not going to regret everything you write. You're not going to be proud of everything you write. Even five years down the road, you're not going to be proud of everything you write. Some of it's just not going to work. But you will grow wiser and you, you will be more talented as you grow. But Jody, what does this have to do with energy? I don't need your lessons and etiquette. Niceness. I guess you've never met those sad people selfishly pursuing their obviously absurd dreams of fame and fortune while their families scrabble along in poverty and want. Life ain't a Hollywood movie where everything comes out right in the end. Too many real lives get trapped in a harrowing act too forever. But I guess supporting the needy by encouraging should-be breadwinners to buckle down and get a proper job doesn't fit so well with the Lady Bountiful image. Strewing goodwill over weaklings unable to face the truth about their own lack of talents. As a side note, that was a real comment I got from someone who called herself a writer, and she really bristled at the idea that we should encourage anybody who writes. You show me one would-be breadwinner whose family is scrabbling along in poverty because said breadwinner won't give up on writing to support the family, and I'll buy you a 2022 Porsche Cayenne. But anyway, we're talking about energy. Get back on track, Jody! I'll tell you what kindness and encouragement have to do with energy. You're going to wake up for an unidentified number of days going forward from here. And you're going to be working on your writer's dream. And you're not going to see any progress. You're not going to have a raving audience of fans. You might still need time to, to really build your talent. To tell a story. To create the raving community of fans. And all during that time, you're going to be in massive energy debt all the time. Yeah, writing gives you energy, especially the creative part of it. When you're just throwing the story down on the paper, when you're just getting the ideas there, oh man, it's like, yeah, it's, it's such great energy. You feel great. 
in the creative part of the journey. But I'll promise you, if you're writing something longer, by the middle of it, that energy's gone and you're just wondering where the heck this story goes. And when you're done and you go back and you have to edit and you realize that there are about 50,000 plot holes in your story and that the characters aren't necessarily that compelling and you don't know how to fix all of the problems, ooh-wee, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to want to turn to your old friend TV. You're going to be upset that you have to sacrifice more time with friends and family just to fix this stinking book. You're going to hate waking up early. You're going to be staying up late. You're going to be reaching out to people to try to tell you how to fix this. And they're going to reject even listening to you because, well, frankly, it's a mess. You're going to be exhausted. Criticism is going to wear you out. You remember how we said that, that one in a thousand even finishes a draft? Well, there's a reason for that. It costs energy. More energy than most of us have. But believe me when I say anyone, anybody can be the one in a thousand who not only completes a book, but publishes it and sells it to the crowd of raving fans. You can be a bestseller, okay? You, you're listening right now and you're pointing to yourself. Yep, you, you can be a bestseller. It's not actually, it's not actually that hard. So how's it done? Well, here's the most important part. It's also going to be the one that challenges you the most. So get ready called support. If you want to start, write, and edit a finished book, you're going to need support because without support, you're going to run out of energy. There's no question about it. You can't start anywhere else to find the energy you need to get this project done. You need somebody. And so I'm giving you an assignment right now. If you don't have a support system, if you don't have a really understanding spouse or a really understanding brother or sister, father, mother, grandparent, somebody, friend, I don't care who it is. However you identify that person, if you don't have a, uh, if you don't have an amazing support person, one person who's willing to sign a contract with you that says, I support person will not judge will not criticize, will not make myself unavailable in any way, but will listen and support. Support, that's the word here. Will listen, support, and encourage you. No matter what you bring to the table, no matter if you're crying, it's not in tears, because listen, when you're in the middle of this, no matter who you are, if you're macho man Ernest Hemingway, it doesn't matter. You're going to feel at some point during this process like all you are is a bag of skin and bones to contain snot and tears. At some point, you're going to feel that way. And you need someone who will support you through that. Listen to your whining, not tell you to, you know, pull up your bootstraps or anything, but just listen and support you. If you don't have that person, good luck. Everybody has that person. Some people don't realize they have that person. And some people aren't as emotive as other people. But everybody needs a support person who doesn't judge. Find them. I don't know where you're going to find them. And that's, that's why I say this is the hardest part. Because you might, you might have married them. You might live with them in a roommate situation. You might have met them online through a chat room. I don't know. But if you don't have them, finding them can be challenging. And I'm not telling you to stop writing or to stop pursuing your dream if you don't have that support person. Because, look, it's really difficult. But if you don't have them, start looking for them right now. Be vulnerable enough to ask somebody, hey, can you do this? And look, AA is going to hate me for suggesting this. But if you, if you don't know anywhere else to look for somebody to support you, 
go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. The people in those groups have seen the bottom. In many, many cases, they've seen the bottom. They know what it looks like to support. Someone in a recovery group will support you if you need it. And just remember, you can support them too. You're helpless without a helper. Once you have your support system, it's time to build a community. Community is a little bit different. Community is going to be give and take. Community is going to be fluid. Sometimes you're going to seek support from your community. Sometimes you're going to offer support to community. Community is going to drive energy at a level that support can't. Support's that bottom level. Support is when when you seek a support system, it's just enough energy to prevent you from falling off of a cliff with no bottom. Community. We're starting to talk about an energy source that gives you a little bit of lift, a little bit of drive, a little bit of motivation. Community is the place you go when you don't know how to fix the story and you have a trusted place to ask some questions. It's the place where somebody else can ask you questions and you can learn by answering those questions. Because the trick about this is, is listen, we're going to get further down the road and I'm going to come back to this idea of service. Service happens in community. When you answer a question for somebody, something that they're struggling with that you've actually worked through, you're serving them, but you're also reinforcing the skills that you've learned. Community is going to drive a lot of energy. It's going to give you energy to keep doing what you're doing. And I hate to, to get back to this idea of Alcoholics Anonymous, but listen, hear me out here. Why do you think Alcoholics Anonymous works? Because it's a community of like-minded people pursuing a singular outcome. When you're in a community, they're going to drive to the same place with you. So join a Facebook group. Get in some reading groups. Join local groups. Maybe they meet at a pub. That won't work if you're actually in AA, but, you know, otherwise, go have a drink with somebody and talk about books and your writing. Go to readings. Listen to podcasts. These are all versions of community that are really, really energy-promoting. Oh, podcasts. You're listening to one right now. I've got a couple more that I really like. I go to Andy J. Pizza of Creative Pep Talk. His podcast is called Creative Pep Talk. You can catch it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I go to him when I feel as low as can be because there's something about the way he does things that makes me feel like, okay, I can get this work flowing again. I can do it. I can carry on. And then sometimes when I'm feeling really pumped and I just know that I want my book to hit the bestseller list, I listen to Self-Publishing School by Chandler Bolt. Ooh, he has some amazing guests. You're going to find a lot of encouragement. You're going to find a lot of motivation listening to self-publishing school. And then when I just want to hear somebody that's in the trenches with me, M. Black Writes by McKenna Black. If you've listened to my podcast, I actually interviewed her. Wow, that's some really good stuff. She puts together a great podcast. She's putting her stories out there for the world. That's motivation to hear somebody who's just putting it out there. You're going to love it. It's going to encourage you, and you're going to feel like I'm part of a community when you listen to that podcast. And there's tons of others, too. I, I, I Honestly, there's so many podcasts I couldn't possibly listen to them all. You might have a different one that scratches that itch of community, but podcasts are a great place to go for it. And now, let's talk about nuclear energy. Nuclear energy. We've shut down a lot of nuclear power plants across the world because nuclear energy is a little bit dangerous. You know, it can kind of destroy some crap when it gets out of hand. And that's how this next one's going to be. Literally. It's called promotion. Promotion's tricky because if you do it wrong, you blow up a bunch of people. There's death and the fallout is for like a really long time. You do it wrong, you can literally ruin relationships for a lifetime. Like, like Chernobyl. 
people can't live there still because there's so much nuclear fallout consequences. But if you do it right, if you do it safely, if you do it well, we're on to something. We're cooking with gas. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that all of you have seen Garden State at some point. And if you haven't, go ahead and pause. Find Garden State. Go watch it. It's a great movie. It's encouraging. I love it. It's kind of like a, a film version of a podcast. You get so, so, so jazzed to create watching that movie. And to just be your best self. But anyway, there's this scene in Garden State. And the reason I'm, I'm referencing the movie is because of this scene. There's this, this uh, the, the main character, um, you know, Andrew Largeman. He goes to a hardware store to buy some stuff. And he runs into an old classmate from high school. And the classmate is super awkward right away. But he, he sees Andrew, and he decides that uh, he's, he's trying to like do like a, a side gig for a multi-level marketing thing, and he launches into his pitch, his self-promotion, his pitch, and everybody is like, oh, this is so uncomfortable, don't do this, oh, please. If you've ever run into a Mary Kay consultant or somebody working for Avon or a pampered chef consultant, well, just kill me now, seriously. That's not how you want to be. Don't do that. Don't destroy relationships by trying to pump a well. Just don't do it. Don't do it. You can sell books without being the used car salesperson, okay? Enough said there. But if you learn how to promote yourself and your work, something insanely true happens. You get an energy boost. People pay attention to you. They are filled up by what you are offering them. And what you are offering them is yourself. This is not a joke. This isn't a lie. This is a true story. Look it up online if you want to. They actually did, I don't know who they is, but, you know, scientists, like really smart people, did this study. And in the study, they discovered that every person's individual favorite word is their own name. Hi, my name's Jody. Just saying that feels good. Now, you know my name. And you say, hi, my name is Bob. Jane. And you feel good. That's a version of self-promotion, and it feels nice. You identify. You say, this is who I am. I'm putting a stake in the ground. Good self-promotion gives people something to hold on to, and it encourages them. Every time I listen to Creative Pep Talk with Andy J. Pizza, I feel good because I know Andy is taking care of me. But he's also promoting himself and his business and the work that he's doing, and he's making a living at it. Self-promotion is awesome when it's done right. I would love to go into depth on this, and I will in a future episode, because self-promotion is really, really important, but you just trust me for right now. It needs to be one of the legs in this five-legged stool, weird five-legged stool. <laughs> yeah, you've sat on one before. Don't act like you haven't. Five-legged stools are like, they're going to be the next thing. Anyway, don't be afraid to promote yourself, and don't be a sleazeball when you do it. It's like nuclear energy. So now we've come to the end. And this one's called service. You're like, well, I don't, really, I, mean, I don't have time to like serve people and stuff. But guess what? If you're a fan of science fiction or just like Star Trek or whatever, I don't know, I mean, or real life, you've probably heard someone mention cold fusion before. I don't even know what it does, but I know that it's cooler than nuclear energy because everybody's like, if we could figure out cold fusion, there would be no more starving people and the world would have water and like, it'd be awesome. It'd be so cool. But anyways, service is cold fusion. Figure that out and you'll never run out of energy. Figure out how to serve people. You'll never run out of energy. 
I'm not going to mention how serving people is part of self-promotion. I'm not going to mention how serving people is part of community. I'm not going to mention how serving people is part of support. Serving people is the embodiment of this journey, of giving energy, of taking energy, of holding energy, of producing energy, serve others. When you have an opportunity to do anything at all for someone else, the energy comes right back at you every single time. You remember what it felt like when Thanos from the Avengers movies squeezed his glove with all six infinity stones in there and then I think they call that Brom. That Brom of energy, that feeling of total powerfulness. That is serving other people. Let's not talk about what Thanos actually used it for. He wiped out half of all of life. That's not what you want to do. But that power, that's what that is. That's, that's, that's the power behind everything you do. You're going to feel guilty when you realize that every time you serve somebody, you build a relationship that makes them want to be part of your team. Oh my gosh. This is another one. We could do 30 episodes on service. But for right now, just realize here are the five. Okay, these are the five things that are going to give you the energy you need to sustain yourself when you write your book to completion, when you edit it, when you get it ready to go, when you learn that finding a support system and building a community, when you promote yourself and when you serve others, you're bulletproof. You're going to finish the book. You're going to sell the book. You're going to win the day. Really appreciate you. I'm here with you. We're doing this together. We're winning together. We're failing together. We're struggling together. We're striving together. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you on this journey. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. <laughs>